boss. These are libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right, welcome to Chief Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I'm Todd Hagopian, and we have a fantastic guest for you today, uh, Cliff Maloney from the Young Americans for Liberty, and we are super excited to have you uh, on our election recap episode. Welcome, Cliff. Hey, thanks for having me, y'all. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Okay, well, what we usually do is we start every episode out with having our guests just... uh, kind of walk us through why they're here. So what started you on the path to liberty and how'd you get from A to B um, or A to better? (laughs) And Mm. so how about kick us off with that? Yeah, so when I was in college, uh, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. I went to school in Western Pennsylvania and uh, I was going to school to teach math. And uh, I was in a class and uh, was arguing with a professor once and somebody told me, hey, you should really look into this guy, Ron Paul. And uh, so I watched a YouTube video and I saw Ron arguing about non-intervention against Rudy Giuliani, the big blowback moment, uh, 2007, 2008 debates. And uh, my life, unfortunately, has gone downhill since then. I've fallen for the liberty trap. Um, When I was in college, I started a YAL chapter, um, got involved uh, pretty heavily with YAL, became a, a state chair in Pennsylvania, and then became a regional director never made it to uh, the classroom full time. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that in certain ways. And certain days I've got people beating the heck out of me, um, you know, across the political spectrum. So sometimes I wish I was in the classroom living the simple life. But uh, long story short, yeah, in uh, 2014, I, I came to work for Yao full time. 2015, I jumped over to uh, be Rand Paul's national youth director. And then when that race was over, um, you know, I got this really cool opportunity, which was to take over YAL. And uh, the leadership at YL at the time was uh, A-OK with my plan, which was, hey, uh, let's stop wasting millions of dollars on U.S. Senate races and uh, try to figure out a way to make Liberty candidates win. And uh, that's when we birthed uh, Operation Win at the Door. And that's kind of been what I've been focused on since the 2018 cycle. And, uh, you know, we've, we've been pretty successful and I'm excited about what, where YL is. Um, you know, right now our, our organization is now based in Austin, Texas. We've moved out of DC. Um, but what we do in general is work with college students, get them involved, uh, when it comes to the principles of Liberty, but that's how I got here. That's awesome. So, so if I understand right, uh, YAL existed before you got involved, how long, how old is the organization? So young Americans for Liberty was founded back, uh, after the 2008 race, it was a continuation of students for Ron Paul. Okay. So it's existed uh, roughly, I guess, now about 12 years. Yeah. And um, that's pretty crazy to think about. But yeah, I was, uh, I only got involved uh, in 2012, 2013 as an activist. And, uh, you know, I, I tell people I'm a, I'm a newbie compared to a lot of the veterans. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of seen the organization take off. We've, we've gone from a two to $3 million uh, consolidated budget. We're up to $11 million this year. So it's been a very big year. And uh, the organization continues to reach young people, which is obviously the core mission. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, and the win at the door started with you and, and when you came in, that was one of your initiatives? Yeah. So in 2018, I guess it was in 2017, um, you know, I kind of did this, uh, this analysis that uh, you, can, you can call me a, a dorky math teacher for doing this, but 
what we did was we kind of sat down and said, okay, listen, you know, how do we get libertarian principles to win? Um, and that was the big thing when I took over Yao, you know, really branding it is make liberty win, right? Because I feel that winning, um, you know, is the way that you can reach people. You have a microphone when you win. Uh, you look at people like Jeff Hewitt out in California, um, you know, LP County Commissioner that, that we helped get elect. I guess it's been, gosh, two years now. Yep. Um, you know, you look to some of these folks that get microphones and, and the value they have and being able to have them. And so we did this math uh, little equation where we, we did something called an impact score. So take president, uh, take Senate, Congress, State House, uh, city council, mayor, dog catcher, and give it a liberty score, right? So give it, what do you think it matters for the principles of liberty uh, and libertarian principles if somebody gets elected to that office? And then what you do from there is you move over in the chart and the next column is, okay, well, how many votes do you need to win that seat? And then the next column is, uh, we're a grassroots organization. So how many doors would we have to knock to move the needle 10 points? And the reason I say 10 points was we wanted to make a significant impact. We didn't just want to move the needle, you know, a half a point. And then from that, you can figure out how much it costs. And when you have that, when you have how much it costs versus the Liberty score and you plot it, do a little scatter plot, um, you know, in our opinion, it'll slap you in the face that the way to get Liberty folks elected, uh, if, if your goal is to win, is to focus on state legislative races. Um, and so that's how we launched Operation Win at the Door. We've got a 30 question survey where we're trying to understand candidates principle and how viable they are. When I say this, I think your listeners especially will appreciate knowing this, you know, look, I don't have any loyalty to a political party. Um, Republicans hate me for that. Libertarian party members hate me for that. Um, but our loyalty is to principle. And it's, it's interesting. I feel like every day I'm pissing off somebody. Um, but, you know, look, we've endorsed over five Libertarian Party candidates. We've endorsed a lot of Liberty Republicans. And a lot of times the model that has worked for us is electing Liberty Republicans. But I know your audience will appreciate this. Um, you know, just this past week was our first official uh, LP win up in Wyoming with uh, Marshall Burt, who we're very excited about. And uh, I just want to kind of double down on that, that we don't care about party. We look at parties as vehicles. And I do think certain parties are, are, are much more aligned than others. Um, but I think what we're trying to do is figure out how do we build a bench of 250 state legislative candidates that believe in liberty principles that can win. Um, and I'm happy to share with you guys, we've still got nine outstanding races, um, but we've uh, won 172 races if you combine this past week and 2018. And uh, so we're, we're on our way to our goal, but we've still got a lot of work to do. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. And Kevin and I were talking about that earlier today. I mean, the, the results speak for themselves. And I didn't know all the, uh, all the background on how you got to why you're doing what you're doing. You and I have had a lot of discussions about what you're doing and, and how passionate you are. You know, I didn't know all the math behind how you got there. And that's pretty interesting. And, and you're right. Um, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this. There's different, um, different reasons to run. You know, some people like myself ran for ballot access reasons. And if you are going to run to win, um, there are, there are ways to figure out what the best races are. Um, you know, you want two person races, you want, uh, races where costs per vote are low and, um, and like you said, you can get uh, X number of doors knocked and turn it into votes. So that's, that's pretty awesome, Cliff. And, and for my, our listeners, I would just say, you know, Cliff has been a friend for years now um, and friend to the party 
friend to people in the party. Uh, and we are excited, Cliff, to have you on board when you are well, on board and, and even when you're not, you know. Let me let me let me back that up. Let me back that up with some numbers because a lot of people will, will will try to attack me. So over the past two years, Young Americans for Liberty has spent more money on LP state legislative candidates than any other entity in the world. I'll back that up with numbers. Uh, I'll back that up by saying even more than the LP itself, even more than LP state parties, and that's fine. I'm not saying that they should be, um, but I share that because I think a lot of people, you know, it's easy to slam dunk um, because we've elected and we've endorsed Republicans, we've endorsed independents, um, and I think a lot of people in the LP look at that as, you know, some sort of, of, of black eye, and it's like, look, I've raised the money, we've put our blood, sweat, and tears into, I think now we're up to five LP candidates that we've attempted to win with. And with Marshall being our first victory, we're proud of that. Um, but I, I want it to be a call to all LP members. You know, look, find yourself ways to make your campaign more viable. Raising money is not easy, right? Running a viable campaign, not easy. Getting 300,000 votes, Todd, you know that ain't easy, right? I mean, people don't realize this thing takes work. So I'd share that that's the case. And look, other people can take our program because it works, I mentioned Jeff Hewitt. Okay, Yao didn't endorse Jeff Hewitt. Yao wasn't endorsed or involved spending any money for Jeff Hewitt. But guess what? Jeff Hewitt called me. Boomer Shannon called me and they said, look, what can we do to run your program out here? How can we model it? And of course I helped them. You know, not with Yao Dowers, but look, we had a bunch of people on the ground. We ran a program and look what happened. The guy won election now representing, you know, a 2.5 million person county with a constituency of 500,000 people. Yeah. So knock doors works. Um, I'm very open, by the way, if any of your viewers have feedback, cliff at whyliberty.org, email me, tell me a better way that we can mobilize our youth army to make Liberty win. But we really feel that this is one of the first plans for the Liberty movement. And you might tell me it's a bad plan, that's fine, but show me the other plan. Right. This is the thing I always say to folks is like, look, I'm, I'm a dorky math teacher, okay? I want to see the numbers. Show me how you have a plan that we can make Liberty win better. And hell, you might convince me. We'll take our 10 or 11 million bucks and pour it into your plan. Yeah. So that's, I'm, I'm an open book. And I think a lot of people think, you know, that we're just dead. No, I'm dead set on being effective. So show me an effective plan. We'll try it out. <laughs> I run, uh, I run businesses for a living and um, and I'm all about the ROI. And whenever anybody's pitching me anything, I always stop and say, listen, everything in life is a math problem. <laughs> so put it on paper in a math problem and show me right. how this works. Um, and uh, so I completely get what you're saying. And, and to your credit, I mean, two years ago, probably you and I were talking about endorsing, you know, libertarians. And I remember you saying, it just doesn't seem to work you know what i mean and and now we have one where it worked and it's only one but I, i'm personally extremely psyched up i feel like y'all and libertarians have come a long way over the last couple of years and y'all alone has come a long way obviously over the last couple of years but even one here one there i mean it's our first one so we're excited so i just want to thank you from from the liberty movement you know we're we're happy about it obviously the and i should shout out the frontier project did a huge huge effort in wyoming as well um so i mean there were there were multiple and the and 
the candidates themselves did a great job. You know what I mean? So it takes everything to win an election, but you guys were helpful and, and effective, and we are happy that you were on that side. So. Well, and, re and real quick, I mean, look, once again, a plan, right? I can respect a plan, and I can respect somebody who executes a plan and then analyzes it. Apollo Pizzell, Frontier Project, I give Apollo so much credit because he's got tactics, right? He's got a strategy. And obviously, this election cycle, that strategy worked. So I think it's always about figuring out, okay, how do you test things out? How do you have a strategy? And then once you have it where you see it works, scale the hell out of it. Yeah. Um, so I want to make sure you hear from me, you know, I'm thankful for Apollo, for his leadership, for stepping up. He's got to raise funds. He's got to get this program off the ground yeah. and being able to partner, you know, it's, it's a privilege. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, what do you got here, bud? I just want to say thanks on behalf of the, the whole Liberty movement for everything that you're doing. I think y'all does an amazing job on Cliff. I think that you're doing amazing things. I'm a bottom unity guy, so I don't care if it's a Liberty Republican an independent, a libertarian an anarchist, whatever, as long as we're advancing away from authoritarianism, authoritarianism, I think we're doing great. I think that you guys are really, really killing it. Um, I hate to see some of the hate that you're taking, but you know, if you're making, if you're making somebody mad every day on both sides, you're doing something right. I appreciate that. Thanks for that. Uh, Cause sometimes I need to hear it. It's uh, whenever, when everybody's against you, you wonder sometimes, you know what I mean? But it's, uh, I think the long-term benefits will be worth it. That's why we do it. Kevin messaged me today and he's like, Hey, uh, Cliff's taking some heat from libertarians. Let's jump on there and make sure he's still coming on tonight. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> no. So big question. What's next? You know, you've got, you've got almost got to your 250 goal. What's 2022 look like? Do you do anything in the off years? You know, and and another big question out of curiosity is just where does this money come from? How are you doing that? Yeah, so we've got over 11,000 supporters across the country. Wow. Um, this is something we've worked tremendously hard at. Uh, I give my uh, fundraising team a lot of credit. Um, and look, I mean, the reality is people are giving because we're producing results. Right. Um, so I always tell people it makes my life uh, fundraising a lot easier when you know we've got results both with our student recruitment and then what they're doing on the ground um you know and look we've we, i i spend about 200 plus days a year on the road um we've worked very hard trying to to grow you to to new heights um but yeah those 11,000 contributors i mean that's uh that's where that sweat equity comes from is those yeah. people chipping in yeah. um i think what's next i mean look our stated goal was to elect 250 liberty legislators by the end of 2022 so, you know, I was a little scared after 2018. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Uh, 2018, we had, you know, 56 wins at the end of 2019. We had a couple of special elections and um, some off-year elections in 2019. But 56 wins going into this cycle, you know, if we only ended up with 60 or 70 wins, we'd have been looking pretty short. Um, the fact that we are where we are, you know, now I've got people asking me to bump the goal and I promised the team I'm not going to move the goalpost because they get frustrated. I'm, I'm always one for doubling down. But I think, look, I'd like to hit 250. I'd like to focus on quality. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times, uh, you know, I, I try to tell people, look, you know, we're not perfect. I mean, I think the people we're endorsing are rock solid. Um, we've had an individual that actually we had to kick out of the coalition because he was not rock solid. Um, and and I, think, I think there's a difference here between what we're doing and a lot of these other groups, whether it's, you know, uh, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, a lot of groups get people elected and they disappear. 
Um, we try to hold our folks accountable. We're actually having a meeting November 20th in Florida for three days with all of our legislators. Wow. Um, and it's kind of cool, you know, to see all these Liberty folks come together. Um, we'll have over 120 people there, maybe even up to 140, uh, depending on if New Hampshire, uh, they're, they're scheduling their, uh, their legislative orientation, which might conflict. And if that happens, we'll, we'll lose a few people. Um, but what I'm getting at is I think what's next is this more of the same, and that might not sound sexy, but I think that's why we've had success is focusing in on where we know we have a niche and where we know we can make a difference. And so I don't know what the metric looks like, but 250 state reps is 5% of all the state house seats in the country. Wow. And people can think whatever they want, but you know, I, I'd like, I'm one, I'm not leaving Yale until we get there. Right. Um, I'd like to see YAL hit a thousand, which is 20% of the entire country. I think if you do that, you have your Liberty revolution, uh, yep. you know, guaranteed because people will matriculate up. Yeah. But um, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to announce a new number. I think we got to hit 250. But I think the plan's working, and uh, we need to keep refining it and figuring out, you know, how we better our systems. Sure. Well, I think this is something that the listeners are probably going to value. Um, let's talk a little bit about your ideal House State House candidate, because I was listening to Larry Sharp this week, um, and I don't know if you talk to Larry a lot or not, but he had a, a pretty passionate um, discussion this week after the elections about who should be running and who shouldn't be running. And he, and he was very passionate that we should stop doing paper candidates, you know, just put people in every in every race and this and that. And what he was saying is, and I'll, I'll skip the rest of it, but what he was saying is state house type races, if you can't have five people ready to work for you and $10,000 raised on day one and commit, I think it was 16 to 32 hours a week then you should not run the campaign for state house. That was kind of his his statement. Um, and I thought it was interesting because that's pretty bold as far as the people that I know who have run for state house haven't, haven't been there. What are your thoughts? Like what's your ideal candidate look like outside of having to qualify on the Liberty side? Larry Sharp is ahead of his time. Um, good friends with Larry, great guy. I think he gets under, he understands messaging. Um, Larry's spot on. You know, we, we've got a problem where, and look, Yao, just to be completely transparent. So we endorsed 100, we had 153 candidates on the ballot this Tuesday, okay? We had, I believe the number is literally 1,001. It's right around 1,000 candidates that applied for endorsement. So I share that with people because there's a few reasons. One, I mean, our, our quality is getting better. We've got a, a higher rate of telling people no. Yeah. Um, also, this is kind of going to sound a little threatening, but that means we've got a thousand people on record uh, on 30 different questions that are, you know, about Liberty principles. So stay tuned. There's some exciting things we're going to be doing this year. I mean, let's say that 200 of those people get elected that we didn't endorse, right? We now know where they stand. We, we have a rule with our survey. We don't go public with it unless you stab us in the back when it comes to Liberty. Right. So if somebody wants to not sign on to one of our bills from one of the, you know, Yale Liberty legislators, yeah. well, guess what? You know, that's a problem. You need to sign on. You told us you'd co-sponsor, yeah. uh, you know, in your survey. So I think Larry gets it that like, look, we've got to focus on people and spend time and money where we can win. I mean, this, this is an honest debate. This is an honest discussion where, and Todd, you and I, I mean, we've had this talk where it's like, look, where should you spend your time? 
Now, my personal opinion is you should spend your time building for liberty around a candidate that can win and that can have a platform to spread a pure, hardcore message of liberty. Yeah. Not around a party. I say this to my GOP friends, right? I don't want to spend any time building a political party. Now, a lot of people in the LP disagree with me on that. That's fine. That's a difference of strategy. But I think Larry is understanding that the more time people spend on candidates that are going to come in at point, you know, nothing percent, it's, it's demeaning. It's demoralizing. When you get involved in these races, you pour your time, your energy, your, your talent, your treasure into these races, and then your candidate comes up blank. It's not just that, that – I'm not saying that people don't get it and they need to be there for the cause, and even when we have rough races. It's just human nature. People want to win, and you can win on principle. You don't have to cave, and that's one of the things we're trying to prove. But Larry's saying, look, if you don't have 10 grand and five people, and to me, that's a bare minimum. Yeah. Look, when we endorse candidates – just to be blunt, Todd, don't be offended when I say this because I'm not calling out all LP folks. Yeah. If you knew the amount of LP candidates that came to us for an endorsement that are running for state house, and we asked them, how much money have you raised to run an effective campaign? And they tell us, we haven't opened a bank account. We are going to do it without money, yeah. right? I wish I could say, great, there's a model here and you can win, right? Like, show me the path. But once again, as a math guy that wants to see the simple numbers, there isn't a path. And everyone tells me they're going to be the one exception. And I've heard that 300 times this cycle, and not one of them came in above, you know, 8% in their race. Marshall Burt was the guy. He was the guy. So I'm glad Larry has that mentality because that's right where I am. People want to win, not because they want to cave on principle, but because it's human nature to be part of something that's exciting and that you can show, and when you win, you can win again because you can take that model and you can duplicate it. So that's the big question right now. This is why I respect Apollo Pizzell because it's like, look, he has a plan. The plan worked. He should be able to raise five times as much money next cycle, which he should. That's great. Yeah. He should be able to endorse and hopefully we win in 10 or 20 races in 2022. But that's what scaling is all about. You've got to break the mold. And I'm so tired of candidates that come to me. And it's not just LP. We've got GOP. We've got independents. I've got Democrats that come to us for endorsements. And it's like, look, we love you. We appreciate your principle, but you're passing the principle part. You're not passing the viable part. And I can't, as a national organization, be responsible to my students, to my activists, to my donors in a way that I can't. I've got 5,400 seats in state houses across America. Right. Why in the world would I go with somebody that's not even opened a bank account or they've raised 50 bucks? from their great aunt Susie, oh, yeah, what's going on here? Like, how are you gonna beat the guy that has 150 grand in the bank when you don't have a bank account? Right. I don't, I don't endorse the system, but that's the system we live in. And there's a path for liberty to win, so why not take that path? And the last thing I'll say on this, Larry is so right. We have a, a program that YAL runs called a Liberty Candidate Academy. And I get a lot of flack. Todd, you'd probably give me a lot of flack if you came to this. Because a lot of the things that we push are about working within the system to run as a principal candidate, win as a principal candidate, and then stay principled and get reelected. Yeah. And it's literally a one-day training where we go through, it's an 18-step process where we teach people how to go from kind of zero to 100 in terms of running a campaign that can win. And people hate it. Winning is not easy. 
right? These candidates, a lot of them at the federal level, they're maniacal geniuses. I say that in a, in a kind of joking way, but they spend, when people run for Congress and win, okay, Republican and Democrat, they spend 12 hours on the phone for eight months raising money. Let me say it one more time, because all these people that pop up and say, I'm going to run for, for Congress. I'm going to put my name on the ballot. Hold on. 12 hours a day for eight months with people telling you to F off and hanging it up on you. And those folks win, yeah. right? Because they raised $2 million. Yeah. Nobody wants to do it. There's a system that will allow you to win, but it takes hard work. And a lot of Liberty folks, they don't want to do it. They want to sit and talk about auditing the Federal Reserve. Voters don't care about the Federal Reserve. Nothing you can do is going to make voters care about the Federal Reserve. But if you find an issue that's liberty-oriented, they can connect with them. Guess what? Run on getting rid of the income tax in your state. They'll love you. They'll love you. Well, Cliff, just because you brought that up, um, I'm going to talk to you about that later on uh, because Kevin and I were just pitching an idea. Uh, about that, um, because I I do think that the elimination of the state income tax is something that over 40 states it's relevant in, because there's only a handful of states that don't have it, um, and that is something that that we can get in the news, you know, locally in these types of elections. So I do want to talk to you about that offline, uh, for sure, because we're probably going to want something here in the next little while, uh, and we'd love to have your thoughts on that. So. We'd love to chat about it. Cool. Awesome. Well, anything you want to pitch, um, get our listeners to go to, take a look at. Yeah, if people want to check us out, you know, look, Young Americans for Liberty is on all socials at, at YA Liberty uh, or at Young Americans for Liberty. Um, you know, we're, we're really, really looking for three things as an organization. You go to yaliberty.org. You go to yaliberty.org slash door. You know, it's like, look, these three things. We need people to get involved as activists and not doors. We need candidates to step up and run viable liberty campaigns. And the third thing is we need resources. You know, if people want to chip in, even if it's 20 bucks, you know, or 10 bucks a month. I mean, every dollar we raise goes towards helping us reach more students and then deploy them to help us win these races. But uh, yeah, I'll just look at, I'll end and say this. We've, we've won over 170 races uh, for liberty candidates. Winning to me is very important. Winning with principle is even more important. But I think if we win 250 races at the state level, we will finally have a bench across the country that can work its way through and have enough microphones that, hell, we might even see liberty in our lifetime. That's what it's That's all right. about. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I definitely heard Cliff at least once say a thousand races. So I know that's going to be the next goal. I'm looking forward to it in 2024. So, <laughs> so we're going to let Cliff go and Kevin and I are going to keep talking about um, some of the libertarian races that went on uh, and, and talk about more of that thing going on. But Cliff, thank you so much. This was awesome having you. I'm glad you got to talk about this. Uh, and I hope you come on again. I would love that. Kevin, Todd, appreciate you both. Take care now. Thank cool. you. Man. Thanks a lot. Hey, Kevin, how we doing? What's up, man? <laughs> sorry i i like clip a lot we've been yeah. uh, friends for a while so i just took that over but hey no, uh, let's talk really about some of the libertarian races so um obviously i would say it's no understatement to say uh libertarians did not get everything they wanted this cycle what are your thoughts on that <laughs> no not at all I, I don't think that they did um i think that we had we felt come up short in quite a few races i think that we might have set our goals a little too lofty. Um, 
I know that we had we had a really good showing in the last election and we were really pumped up about it, but I, I don't think that we fell short of what we were realistically going to do. I think that we set our goals too high. We did win some races. We did set some records. You set a record. I mean, it's, I think that we did, I think that we did well. I just think that we had pumped ourselves up to a level that we just weren't going to be able to maintain. Um, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall as far as a couple of other things. If you were to look at the signs as far as the POTUS race and things like that, but I, I, I still think that we did well. Um, I know a lot of people are disappointed and, you know, they got their feelings hurt. People are coming at Cliff because he backs, you know, the GOP candidates or whatever. But I think that we came in right where we, right where we should have set our goals at originally. I think that Gary Johnson and them got us a little too lofty and we yeah. just got to, we just got to pack it up. But the thing that, the thing is we learned some lessons from this one and we've yeah. got three years to really, really build it up. And we've also, we did enough damage where we have the other parties talking about us, you know, to be yeah. such an insignificant third party that doesn't get anything done. We sure do yeah. get a lot of people elected. Yeah. So let's uh, real quick, just one comment on the cliff, you know, quote unquote controversy. I'm just going to say this. All libertarians I know right now are making fun of Republicans for crying about the election. So let's not be like that and cry when Cliff beats one of our candidates. You know what I mean? Like it's a it's a political race. It's going to be a winner. There's going to be a loser. People are going to back candidate. People aren't going to back a candate. He's doing good work for liberty. Uh, so everyone should just shut the fuck up. Okay. Yeah, That's I, what I'm going to say about that. So. I, I totally agree with that. I think that that this, you know, like he was talking about, he was talking about having viable candidates winning, you know, and I've said all, I've said several times, I've got into several arguments with people. This, whenever, whenever people say, well, we've got to be a hundred percent principled, you know, we, we can't change any of our viewpoints. We can't water it down or whatever. That's great. You know, but we are heading towards more authoritarian rule. And I just don't see the point in being the most libertarian, libertarian to ever libertarian in the bread line. I don't want to be standing there bragging about how I didn't water down any of my principles if, you know, we're moving towards authoritarianism. So I understand his viewpoint of win at all costs because I think everything's on the line. And, you know, I'm a bottom yeah. unity top guy. I think any, I think Liberty Republicans, I think Lib Sox, I think Libertarians, I think we're all on the same team and our squabbles are really small right now and compared to our battle. So I, I think that other libertarians need to recognize that and they need to recognize that another thing is just like I made the comment about Austin Peterson, because everybody was talking about him, you know, if, if we just hurl a couple of more insults at him, they'll definitely join our team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Austin and I have gone at it a few times here over the last uh, couple of months, but he knows I respect him. I know he respects him, you know, and, and we respects me and, we're good, you know, we can fight about things and be good without calling somebody a bad person and a bad libertarian and, and this, a bad liberty person. Let's talk about the presidential race. So tons of people are disappointed. At the end of the day, this was the second most votes the Libertarian Party has ever gotten. Um, so, and far more than Gary Johnson's first run. Now, of course, more people voted. There, you know, we can we can talk about numbers and percentages and whatnot, but 1.6 plus million people voted for Joe this time, um, down from over 4 million 
from Gary Johnson, in my opinion. You know, last time around, you had the two most hated candidates in the history of the country. You know, everyone, never Trumpers were there. You had people that hated Hillary um, and, and people, you know, were looking for a third option. This time around, Trump had basically solidified his base. Um, it was something like 70% of the people that were voting or 70 or 80% of the people that voted for Trump were voting for Trump and not against Biden, which is way different than it was last time around. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on 1.6 million? I mean, I was disappointed. I called 2%, which would have been closer to over 3 million. Um, I kind of thought that she was going to perform, you know, around one and a half to 2%. I didn't think that she was, I know a lot of people were very, very pumped up about her and, and thinking that she was going to beat Gary's number. I didn't see it. Um, and I think that that comes from a couple of things. Um, I don't, I don't know that she was, I don't know that this was the election to have somebody like her in it. She's very, she's very well-spoken. She's very intelligent. She's a lot of positive things about her. However, when you're running against somebody like Trump, you don't need that. You need somebody that's more controversial, more loud, more all of these things. And I think Spike kind of complimented that, but I just don't think that this was the year. And I think that one thing that people are really, really not thinking of whenever we talk about, you know, if she underperformed or whatever, is there are a ton of people that because of the coronavirus response, they're out of work. There are a lot of people that were working whenever Trump had quote unquote built the economy, um, you know, which was like what he touted. And a lot of them, they, they really attribute them losing their job to this pandemic. And they look at Trump as the guy that was going to save them for their jobs. A lot of people in the oil and gas industry are super terrified that Kamala Harris and um, Biden will ban fracking. So a lot of those people voted for Trump and they're not going to vote for somebody else. Whereas, you know, a lot of people um, in that industry, in the energy industry, they, a lot of them lean more libertarian. They're more, Hey, just kind of leave me alone. Let me do my own thing type people. But a lot of people were scared and then nothing motivates people like fear. Um, whenever you had Hillary. Trump, I mean, in, yeah. In 2016, you know, you weren't worried about dying. Yes. You were worried about not being able to get back to a job because you had a job. Yes. You know, we, we had fine unemployment in 2016. And, and so you're right. I think there was a, a huge portion of the country um, it was, was affected to the point where they're either scared about their health or they're scared about their money. And those are two of the you know, biggest reasons for divorce and fights and all that stuff. You know what I mean? So, so of course, they're going to vote differently when when they're that scared you know yeah. so i agree i think that that had a huge impact on it um the biggest problem with what happened is now we've lost ballot access in a number of states and i haven't done the analysis yet i'm going to go back and do it but there's going to be a lot of work to do over the next two years um, mm -hmm. i did hear spike talk about how he's going to work really hard on on helping the party in that regard and he's going to stay um stay involved and try and get that ballot access back and i'm, I'm pretty happy with what i heard out of him and i think he did a great job i think joe did a great job but i, I think presidential race. um so probably um the next one we talked about i think was ricky harrington um so so just great race by ricky um 
30, I think it was low 30s, 33%-ish, you know, is mm -hmm. where he ended up at. Um, busted through the libertarian record for the Senate. Just fantastic job. I did find out later that he uh, raised, you know, right around $80,000. So didn't even raise that much, which I was surprised at um, for that raise. Uh, had, I think, right around 400,000 votes. So just 400,000 people voted for a libertarian who never have before. Um, really impressed with Ricky. What were your thoughts on that race? I think that that's an incredible ROI. Yeah. I think, I, I, what were Tom Cotton's numbers? Do you know? He had to have spent well over a million. Yeah, I did not check that, but that's a good yeah. thing we should uh, look into. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's an incredible ROI. I think that to, I think Ricky had an excellent showing. I think that he did really, really well with, he didn't play into um, Tom Cotton's games. When When Cotton didn't show up for that debate, he just, instead of making a big deal about it, or calling him out and having a fit about it. He just he turned it into a town hall for himself. That was the power move to make because it got, a lot of people were able to see libertarians in action for the first time and think, oh my goodness, like this, they're not, you know, what I thought that they were, or maybe they never even heard of a libertarian. And now this, this is what it is. I think Ricky did excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, and I think that other candidates could learn a lot from him in that respect, he ran a very professional campaign. And I think it's something that he needs to be proud of. I think that we had a lot of down ballot candidates that were very good this year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Ricky came in right around where you and I predicted he would. I think nothing at which is, which is better than almost every libertarian. Yeah. <laughs> did this year because all of them just barely underperformed what we thought they were going to do. So. Um, so, I mean, no, I'm really happy with Ricky. Uh, next one on the list we talked about last week was Donald Rainwater out in Indiana. This one was all over the place. He pulled anywhere from 10 to mid-20s. Um, I think I called low-20s for him. I think he ended up in the 14 range, um, which he got better over, over the night, but he ended up at about 14. And again, got like 400,000 votes, just great effort. And, and the most impressive part, of course, about this one is it was a three-person race, right? Right, and which is which is really, really, I mean, that's really, really incredible to think that he got four hundred thousand. One thing that one metric that we need to start using going forward. I, I don't have these numbers here, but I should have pulled them for this. I would be interested to see what the amount of registered libertarians in Arkansas and Indiana are versus the amount yeah. of votes that they got and how many from other parties they were able to pull. I think that would be an interesting metric to yeah. keep up with. Because I know like yeah, in, in with you, there's 14,000 and some change registered liberty. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. you went yeah. well past that. I would love to see those metrics and see how, how much Ricky and how much rainwater were able to pull from these other parties, because that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. And especially rainwater where there were three people. You know, so every vote he got outside of registered libertarians was a true poll yeah. know, from somebody who had an mm -hmm. option to vote for their guy. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's an interesting one for us to look deeper into. Um, but yeah, I couldn't be happier with Donald Rainwater. I think he did a, a fantastic job. Obviously, I would have liked to see him in the 20s. Um, the other guy spent millions of dollars. I mean, the Republicans spent millions of dollars and the Democrats, you know, he, he I don't even think he got to 30%. So. Donald Rainwater kept the Democrat under 30, uh, which is pretty impressive. 
I, yeah, I think that's, I think that's really impressive. I think yeah. though that, um, I would love to see the metrics on it, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say right now that I believe that we as libertarians, I saw Austin Peterson talk about it too. I think that a lot of the votes that we are pulling are Democrat. I think yeah. that we as libertarians are performing better with Democrats. Um, third one that we talked about last time was my race. So we'll just briefly hit this one. Um, did not get, uh, that percentage I was hoping for. We ended up at 24%. Oklahoma record was 25% and I wanted 30. Um, but we did set the Oklahoma vote record with 345,000 votes versus the previous record of 271, I think. Um, so just a lot more people voted libertarian than ever have. We're pretty happy about that. Uh, we're going to be doing a deep dive in numbers going forward here, and I'll do a post-mortem. If it's interesting, I'll bring it on the show. If it's not, I'll keep it to myself. But <laughs> um, but the important part about all these races, and hopefully I can help these other guys do it too, is uh, is a good post-mortem on what happened. So to your point, I spent a lot of money in the Democratic areas. I'm not sure that paid off as well as if I'd gone after the Republican areas. Um, so, so that's what we're going to look at is county by county and just try and figure out, you know, who voted where, where did you actually pull, what did you do better than? So, for example, if Trump got 62%, your opponent got 70%, you know, that's the eight-point spread. Well, right. what counties were you only a one-point spread? What counties were you a 14-point spread, you know? So, uh, where did you outperform that spread? And that's, libertarians don't do enough of that post-mortem analysis, um, especially in races where we have enough votes to do it. So these three races, I really think we have to do that on. No, but I'll tell you something that to piggyback off of our conversation from the last episode, you were talking about how you spent a lot of your money focusing on Google metrics, on the way that um, Google, you know, brings you up whenever you do searches and stuff. And I had four people, three of them Democrats, one of them an independent, who all said to me, I'm voting for this Todd Hagopian guy and didn't even know that he was a libertarian. He was just the only guy I knew that was running Yeah, because they were Googling it and seeing your name. Yeah. Well, here's the interesting part about that. I spent no money doing it. Mm -hmm. I just learned how to do it. Right. So that's the important part about search engine optimization is if you do it right, it's free. Um, and we can teach that to other people. Uh, and and for example, that's another thing you and I are going to talk about offline is how to do that from a state level, um, because the state can pick a couple of races and, and do that for them. You know what I mean? Right. It's not that hard. So, um, so anyway, I think you're right, though. Search engine optimization is something that, that I learned a lot about this year that was so freaking easy and everybody could have been doing it. Uh, and I put it out there on Twitter, like, Google this and let me know what you see. And all over the country, people were grabbing the same image. Um, so you do your SEO, and it and it's everywhere. It's your entire state, it's your entire country. You know, it, it's grabbing the same images and the same articles. So that's something that we can do really easy, even among the libertarian press. Right. You know I mean, we can we can control that just by publishing more press releases and more articles, and publishing and resharing each other's stuff um, yes. and getting there so yeah um next one we talked about was thomas queter over in oklahoma or in uh, new york a uh, little bit disappointing in this race i think he came in 10 or 12 percent um 
I think he was hoping for better. We were hoping for better, but you know, it, not bad. Um, we no, did no. go ahead. Still the. <laughs> You can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's still one of the highest that's ever performed in New York, right? Because Larry, well, yeah, got like I'm not sure, and that that particular district, I need to do some more research in. But I bet you it, he did fine for that district. You know, it is New York, so yeah, there's a, you know, there's about three conservatives in there. Yeah, you that's know, what so. I was about to say. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's probably the only libertarian in the whole state besides Larry Sharp. Now, I would like to see him do more. Uh, going forward, because what I heard was he was a great campaigner. Uh, lots of people were talking about him, you know, and I think um, he's got a future if he, if he, and and part of this is where you live, right? You, you're in a district and that is what it is. So, yeah. Um, so he might have to find a different thing to run for or find a different way uh, to pave his path. But um, one state Senate seat that we talked about briefly um, was here in Oklahoma, and he actually came in at 23%, which was really nice. I think that um, was good. Yeah, Greg, Greg Sadler. Sadler. Yeah, Greg Sadler. And at one point in time, I think his number said 36%. I saw that. Yeah, we were like, whoa, this is, yeah. you know, he's starting to move up, uh, and then it dropped back off, uh, mm -hmm. as mine did as well in Oklahoma. So I think uh, the Republican vote got counted later. So. Um, because I think I was at 30 at one point in time too, but Greg did a great job at um, knocking on doors. So he did the Cliff Maloney strategy. I don't know how much money or if he raised hardly any or not, um, but I know they were handing stuff out. So he had some money and, and did knock doors for probably six weekends in a row. Yeah. Um, so just really, really good in a very, very red district. Um, was able to come up with 23%. And also a very, very red state. Every county, every county went red. Yeah, um, exactly. One thing that we we skipped over, and I think that it's worth bringing up with Greg and your um, race, is I think what really hurts you guys is straight line voting. Um, yeah. Oklahoma is one of the last states to have that. And I think that that is a really archaic system and it's hurting you guys. Yeah, and we've got some good folks in Oklahoma that have fought against it on the Republican side even. Uh, and then, of course, we're involved, I think, in a lawsuit about it. I'm not sure. I'm going to talk to Chad Williams, the OKLP chair, but I think we're involved in a lawsuit that's kind of working its way through. Um, and you're right. I mean, we're going to put that in the analysis, too, but it's 50 to 80 percent of Republicans in any given year do straight ticket. And more importantly, this year, when we're running against a Republican only, every single Democrat that did straight ticket dropped off and we didn't get the vote. You know what I mean? So right. they just didn't vote in that race. Um, and so, you know, that could have, that could have moved, you know, 345,000 all the way up to 500,000. So, um, and it's probably higher than that. I think it's 30 to 50% of Democrats do straight tickets. Oh, so, I'm, I'm um, but we're going to get those numbers in the post. Yeah. Um, so yeah, great. Yeah. Awesome. So it's something we have to look at. Yeah. 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 It's definitely going to be. We got to look at changing it. Now, the only thing I was talking to some other folks about this and, and the problem is, is no one's really that passionate about it. Right. Like, um, so it's not an issue you're going to win on. If you're going to change this thing, you got to change it through the courts. Probably right. voters don't give a crap no. whether it's a straight ticket or not. Like who, who cares if the neighbor wants to do straight ticket? Um, and they don't really see it as hurting anybody. Um, because they've never been hurt by it, you know what I mean? So it doesn't hurt Republicans and Democrats to do straight ticket. 
So, right. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I think that's going to be an interesting issue on how to tackle it and who's the audience to talk to about it. Uh, but I do think you're right. Now, Wyoming, super interesting in Wyoming. Um, so we highlighted this awesome race that was going to be the first race we ever won in the state house, Bethany Valdez. And she did fantastic again after coming in at 49% in 2018. She again got 49%, but even a higher 49%. So I think she actually set her own record again, but lost by a couple dozen votes. <laughs> so um, just great, great leader of liberty. Fantastic run again. Worked so hard um, and just came up short. Right. But we did get Marshall Burt, who won, who, if you guys will remember, we highlighted him and said that he was definitely going to win. We knocked that one out of the park. <laughs> yeah. We completely didn't highlight Marshall Burt. At all. So positive that Bethany Valdez was going to be our first state house rep. And yeah. Marshall next door in a different part of Wyoming, um, who, who Cliff obviously talked about earlier, became the winner. Um, and I do think it's worth mentioning, you know, that, that Marshall Bird had y'all on his side and Frontier Project on his side, and, and he was the one that won. So I think there's value in that um, to understand that. Uh, and, and we weren't projecting him to win. And he still won. So the door knocking, you know, made a difference in that race, probably. Um, but yeah, so huge news for libertarians that nobody's talking about because everyone's focused on the presidential race. But we have our first state house, um, state house elected official, just absolutely huge. And, and it shows us that we can do it. Apollo has done a great job with the Frontier Project. Um, I talked to Apollo early on in my campaign and, and he was basically pretty straightforward. You know, we're not, we're not going to touch you because we're doing, you know, we, we know what we want and we're focused on it and this and that. And I said, that's fine. Um, and, and he got us a win and that's huge. That's something that, you know, not very many people would have probably bet on, especially outside of Baldez. If you said not counting Baldez, how many wins are you going to get? I think just about everybody in the country would have said zero for yeah. state. Uh, oh. And we pulled one off. So. Right. So big shout out to Marshall, big shout out to Cliff yeah. and the Frontier Project, Apollo, all them. I mean, yeah. that's a uh, Marshall, we apologize for skipping over you, bud. We love you. Yeah. And, and everybody uh, who knocked on any doors. I mean, that's just incredible work. You know, that's hard work. Um, you don't, you don't get paid, if anything, much to do that. Um, and, and it's just uh, that is winning these races. So Good, good election at the local level. We also had had dozens of you know people elected to local positions, um, which I'm not going to list off here. But I think we had city council members and things like that. Um, they're all listed on the LP website, so you can go and take a look at the winners. Um, overall, I'd say it, it's fair to say it was a disappointing election uh, compared to what we thought it was going to be coming out of 16 when we had all the momentum. We are going to have to build that momentum back. Unfortunately, we're going to have to expend time, energy, and money getting ballot access back in certain states, not mm -hmm. Oklahoma. Luckily, we got it here for the next four years. Um, but, um, but I think we're going to do that. I think we'll be on all 50 again in 2024. And I think we have some, I think 2024 is going to be different. And we don't need to talk about names here. But what I'm going to say is 
the feeling I get is in 2020, we had a bunch of people no one had ever heard of running for president. There were a few people that we knew well, um, whether or not we knew them well and wanted them to be our president or not, you know, and whatnot. But there were a, a number, I mean, you had 16 people in some of these debates and there were maybe three uh, that in cliffs were, you know, were viable. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that next time around, we're going to have five to seven viable candidates um, because of what happened this time. They're going to want to get in there and, and make a difference. Um, and I think that's going to stop the non-viable candidates from. I, I believe so. I also think that, um, I think that we'll have a more stable, um, you know, of course, depending on um, if JBH gets reelected or how that goes after the, at the next convention. But I feel like we will not be going through the same turmoil as we were during this last yeah. uh, leading up to it. Um, I believe that that negatively influenced some of the more viable candidates. Yeah. Um, I just think we're going to be in a better position in 2024. Um, yeah. I'll be old enough to run. So that's a huge thing. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> Why does anyone else have to run? <laughs> so I think, uh, I think one of the big things is, is if enough viable candidates come in early enough, there will be not as many opportunities for people to come in late. So yeah. this last one, you had you had Judge Jim Gray and, and Sharp come in late. You had Amash come in late. Um, even even Hornberger and Jorgensen came in later, mm-hmm. you know, than than needed. Mons didn't really ramp up his campaign until early that year. I think one thing that people realized is that you have to come in earlier uh, to be more effective and to and to you know more or less lock up the nomination or have a serious chance. Um, and if anybody had done that, you know, it would have been different, I think. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully we have one or two people do that early and then everyone follows suit and we can have two years to get to know these candidates instead of people asking who Joe is after the nomination, which happens, unfortunately, all too often. Right. Um, we, need to, we need to get the news and especially our party energized about these candidates, you know, prior to the nomination. I think another thing that we need to do, we need to spend the next, if if I were JVH, just put myself in his shoes, I would spend the next year educating the public and the rest of the party about how our nomination process works. Because yeah. I think that that massively negatively impacted us. Because yeah, a lot of talked about that um, offline and I do think we should, we'll probably look at doing an episode about that and just making sure that people understand um, how it works. Cause I think you're right. I think people don't get it. I didn't get it, you know, four years ago, uh, I was deeply involved in it this time around working with Hornberger and, and being a delegate. Um, so now I get it pretty well. Um, but I think people need to understand how that process works, what primaries mean, what, you know, straw polls mean when the conventions happen and what those mean. Mm-hmm. And then, and then how the actual vote doesn't happen <laughs> doesn't have anything to do with any of that. <laughs> it all happens at the at the big convention. Yeah. So all that stuff is just for show and just to get to know the candidates and, and you can change your mind right up to the last minute. So I think that's important for people to understand. And that's why these late candidates, candidacies have worked in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I think I think we need to think a lot about that. Uh, but more importantly, we need to all understand it so that we can get ready for next time. Um, yeah, for sure. I agree. I, I think that'll make a good episode for folks who don't don't understand it today. Right. Well, what else you got? Well, I think that's about it. I, we got some great guests coming, uh, folks. We're not going to put names out there because then, of course, they'll cancel. But, um, but we'll tell you <laughs> that we are going to start a uh, Ladies of Liberty stream and bring on some fantastic libertarian ladies to talk about their experience in the party, um, what's going on, how, how they feel, what we can do better to cater to more women in the party. It's a blind spot for us that we have to acknowledge and have to do better with. Uh, and I think you guys are gonna be really excited with some of the guests that we're bringing on. We're also gonna keep bringing on big dogs like Cliff um, and probably start talking uh, to state chairs and stuff around the country too, to share best practices and really start. We're gonna have several streams of this podcast and try and figure out you know, what people want. We're gonna give you all kinds of good content. I'm really excited. So if you've made it this far, um, you know what I mean? tune in for the next one. It's going to be twice as good as we get better at this. <laughs> yeah. Also be sure to uh, follow us on Twitter. It's at uh, chats chief um, chief chats. You can just look up the handle there. If you have any suggestions or any guests that you would like to see, feel free to tweet at us. Feel free to engage with us on there. Um, we love the feedback. We love hearing from you guys, whoever our one listener is in Spain. Hola. Um, but I, I think that this is going to be really great. I really look forward to it. We got some great things coming down the pipe. Yeah. So until awesome. well, guys, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. We appreciate you. We appreciate everything you do for Liberty and have a good night.